0: Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hello, and welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where together we find ways to overcome our fears and walk boldly in faith. I'm your host, Jennifer Slattery. I'm an author, a speaker, and ministry leader called to encourage God's children to walk in his freedom. I would love to connect with you. You can find me on social media. You can find my website. Just Google my name, Jennifer Slattery. I also encourage you to join my private Facebook group titled Faith Over Fear, where we support one another in our battle against fear and anxiety. If you have any trouble locating the group, message me through my website and I'll help you get connected. Today, we're talking about a fear that paralyzed me for years and nearly destroyed my marriage. Fear of financial insecurity. If you've listened to past episodes, you might know this part of my story. In my teen years, I went through a period of homelessness where I learned what it means to feel food and financially insecure. I discussed this briefly in episode one, where courage is found. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so. I think you'll find it helpful. My experience with homelessness, it left a deep, long-lasting, though praise God, not permanent imprint on my heart. Heart wounds and lies developed during that time kept my OCD, which I regularly battle, busy for years. But God loved me too much to leave me enslaved by fear. And so, like the loving, faithful, and attentive father he is, he allowed life to plunge me deep into <laughs> exposure therapy. Now, you may have heard that term before. In the psychology world, it's a type of treatment that exposes a person gradually to whatever they fear until that fear loses its hold on them. And some of us go through that therapy intentionally through counseling. Others of us sort of free fall into it like I did. So God planted the first seeds leading to what I'd call my journey of freedom about a year before my world started to tilt. We were living in Southern California at the time, and my husband, he had a stressful but high-paying job that continually wore him into the ground. Each day, he came home exhausted and often headed straight for the couch. He oversaw four locomotive repair shops throughout the Los Angeles basin. He was working over 70 hours a week. He was on call whenever he was home, and this was hard on him, on our marriage, on our family, And it set a bad example for what it looks to lead as a Christian man. He knew this. I knew this. We both felt that tension between how we believed God wanted us to lead our family to live and what was reality. That's a real tension, isn't it? When you know in your heart God wants you to Lead in a certain direction or to live in a certain way, to work less hours, to change jobs, to maybe for one member of the family to stay home, and which means supporting the family on one salary, or maybe leaving the corporate world to open a nonprofit, to serve in missions, to start a small business. Those are all tough decisions that for some of us, maybe the answer will come quickly and easily, but. For others of us, there might be a time of wrestling, and I actually believe that's by God's design because I believe it's in the wrestling that we most encounter him. It's during those wrestling periods that he squeezes all the hidden lies and the fears from our hearts so that one by one he can purge them from us so he can help us to see him as he really is, see our reality as it really is so that he can grow us through that. That's a process. And can I offer a word of comfort here? God doesn't expect us to figure it all out and become spiritual powerhouses overnight. He is so much more patient with us than we are with ourselves. So if you're struggling with fear right now and adding a bunch of guilt and condemnation on top of it, thinking you should have more faith than you do, Relax. Just keep turning to Jesus. Do your best to surrender to him as he leads and trust him to grow you. I love what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippian believers in Philippians 1, verse 6. He said he was confident that he who began a good work in them, and that was God, would carry that work on to completion. When you feel particularly discouraged, I encourage you to speak that verse over yourself. I am confident that God, who began a good work in me, will carry that work to completion. God's watching us, caring for us, like a loving father and life coach. Scripture promises he works everything, not some things, but all things for our good in his glory. And that means... Though our journeys may hurt and feel frightening now, we can trust good is coming. We can hold tight to the hope we have in Christ. And in fact, it might be because our journeys feel so hard now that we're most able to hold tight to the hope of Christ. He sees things we don't see. He sees what's ahead and and what we'll need in terms of character, skill set, endurance, inner grit in order to be fully prepared for the amazing plans he has for us. In my case, God saw a mess of hurts and lies that were fueling my fears. Our fear of financial insecurity is rarely just about the money. Often there are so many layers tied into that. Financial difficulties can prick our sense of identity, our our sense of worth or significance, and it can trigger all those lies we've amassed over the years. Lies and fears that, at least in my case, drive to controlling, self-defeating, and potentially relationship-destroying behaviors. When my husband was bringing home a steady, predictable, and seemingly continual paycheck, I could easily ignore all the gunk swirling in my heart, all those fears and lies that, while they still impacted me, could largely be downplayed and excused until life provided something of a stress test and revealed all those cracks in my faith I wasn't aware of. Is that where you're at? Do you feel squeezed? And if so, have you stopped to evaluate why? What God is trying to show you, how he's trying to grow you during this time? If not, I encourage you to do so. If we want to experience true freedom, we have to invite God to go deep. And we have to do this Regularly, because many of our lies hold on so tight. They're not easily or quickly uprooted, and they never live alone. They've got a bunch of buddies that we've gathered over our lifetimes, each of which God is working to yank out one by one. While necessary, that's never a fun process. And in the moment, we might be tempted to run, but don't. Instead, ask God to help you trust him during this process. Trust that he truly does have your best in mind, that he's with you, that he loves you, that he sees you, and that he's carrying you through this. At the time, your feelings might be telling you the opposite, that he doesn't see you or doesn't care, but those are lies. And when those lies rise up, you absolutely must counter them with truth. So my lies were numerous, but in part, they were that I control my future, that God would allow me to experience a pain I couldn't handle. Like if I released my grip on this world that I thought I controlled, that, that he would allow me to experience a pain I couldn't handle and a pain that ultimately would not end. And, and also that, he wouldn't care for me because if I truly believed he would and did care for me, I wouldn't have felt so afraid. If I truly believed he had my best in mind, I wouldn't have felt so afraid. I wouldn't have fought so hard for control. And my husband, he carried his own lies and they were crippling. He believed that he alone was responsible for the well being of our family. And that burden, like I said, it nearly crippled him. And it kept him from setting healthy boundaries. He didn't even think to do so or, or that he could, but he soon realized if he didn't set boundaries, others would use every last bit of him. And that's precisely what happened. Things quickly went from bad to worse. And our marriage was struggling, really struggling. One afternoon, I was alone in our bedroom, and I was just crying out to God. I was hurting. I felt alone, and I was asking God to help us, and I just happened to have the television on, and it just happened to be turned to a particular channel, and on that channel, it just so happened that a pastor was preaching, but I wasn't really paying any attention until the man said something that penetrated so deep. I knew it came from God, and he said, sometimes things must get worse before they get better. And have you found that sometimes things must get worse before they get better? Sometimes we need to reach the end of ourselves, our efforts, our plans, our savings account before the miracle comes, not just in our circumstances, but most importantly, in our hearts and our lives. God was doing a major work in both my husband and I, and all we saw was the chaos, what seemed like wreckage, but God was working towards something beautiful. He was saving our marriage. He did save our marriage through some really, really hard, really painful circumstances. Like I said, we are living in California and things went from bad to worse until one day my husband had had enough. He quit. And he moved our family literally across the country to Louisiana. And I'm pretty sure my daughter and I did not make that huge life transition easy on him. I've never been a fan of moving and not understanding the huge weight my husband was carrying. There were times I viewed him and therefore treated him like the enemy. But we all adapted and we began building our new life, getting connected into a new neighborhood, a new faith community. Everything was working out relatively well for my daughter and I, but that wasn't the case for my husband. He'd taken this new job, uprooted his family, and presumably burned a bridge with a company he'd been working with for decades, thinking his new position would be so much better. He was working for a smaller railroad in a much more powerful position, one he thought for sure would give him more control over his time, but that wasn't how things turned out. The stress and the hours were worse. Our marriage grew worse, so bad, in fact, that I made the mental choice not to care. I shut my heart off to him and our marriage. I quit fighting for us, but God didn't. He was fighting for us the whole time. We were just too wrapped up in our emotional, chaotic, anxious mess to see his hand and hear his voice. And I began to feel emotionally and spiritually dead. And I'm relatively certain my husband did as well until one day he came home and he told me once again that he'd quit for the second time in under months. Months. This rocked me. It made me angry. I felt hopeless and, and helpless and so vulnerable. And I didn't have a college degree. I had a nearly non-existent resume. And while, praise God, we didn't have any debt, our monthly expenses matched his previous salary as a general director for a major national railroad. And every day as my husband scoured online job sites for employment and sent resumes out, and as I watched the bills come in one after the other, we waited, we waited, we waited for a miracle. You may have heard the phrase, God is never late, but rarely early. Can you attest to that? In my life, it seems God always waits for the last minute when, like I said, we've reached the end of ourselves just when it feels all hope is lost, boom, the miracle comes. This happened again and again for the Israelites as they were fleeing Egypt and heading toward the lush and fertile land God had long promised them. And I believe this was intentionally. So you can read their journey in Exodus in the Bible. God was shifting their worldview and worldviews don't shift easily. He was teaching them to trust in him and that doesn't come easily either. We talked about the beginning of their journey in an earlier podcast, how they found themselves trapped with the sea on one side and a heavily armed and highly trained army coming at them from the other side, and how God used that moment of terror to not only bring them to another step in their freedom journey, but also to conquer their enemies. And they celebrated, and they followed this God that had rescued them so miraculously. Straight into the desert. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? Like God called you to something, you followed in faith only to find yourself in a desert. That's a discouraging and frightening place. And often our discomfort grows the longer we're there. At least that's how my desert periods feel. So I can understand how the Israelites might've felt. I mean, I understand that God had worked powerful miracles on their behalf. I get that he remained with them in a very tangible way, but as they walked step after step, mile after mile, longing for something to drink, their thoughts focused on one thing, how thirsty they were. And let's not skim over the reality of their experience. They had been traveling in a literal desert for three days. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They needed food and water. Those were very real needs. And they didn't see either. And maybe they'd been patient for a day, trusting God to provide. them the second day, more miles, greater thirst, but still nothing. Then came day three. And then they saw water, praise God. And I envision all the children running ahead and the parents pushing their children forward. So thankful they can finally give their hot, tired, thirsty little ones a drink. But then they reached the waters of Mira as it's called, and they found the water was bitter. It was undrinkable. And they were crushed. That had to be harder to deal with than if they'd never seen the water in the first place, to have hope then feel as if their hope was dashed. And like I said, it'd been three days. In his book, A Way Through the Wilderness, author Jamie Buckingham reminds us that three days is the maximum time the human body can go without water in the desert. So in other words, this probably felt like life or death for them. They had reached the end. They were desperate for help. The higher the stakes, the harder it becomes to trust God. But that is precisely why those high stakes scenarios have such capacity to grow our faith, because they force us to wrestle with what's really in our heart, with all those doubts that we can easily disregard, ignore, or remain oblivious to in our normal lives. And for those who aren't familiar with the story, I don't want to leave you hanging. God did give the people water and then he fed them raining manna or wafer-like flakes from the sky, giving them just what they needed each day. Why? He could have dropped bucketfuls at their door and been done with them until the food ran out, but that's not how God engages because he indeed wants to engage with us. He wants to teach us to trust him, to rely on him, and to follow him, to do our part by walking however he leads but trusting him to provide and to fight for us. When we were in the middle of our upheaval period, and I was really struggling to trust, God told me through a sermon that he was fighting for my family. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that we weren't alone and that God had a plan. And he told me clearly that he was fighting for us. I held on to that truth. I held on to that word that he implanted in my heart throughout what we experienced after. It really helped me to endure and he's fighting for you also always. And here's a truth you can hold on to. When you fight your battles God's way, he fights for you. And when he fights on our behalf, watch out because as scripture says, if God is for us, who can possibly stand against us? He showed us himself his presence, his care and his love for us. But he also showed us ourselves, old patterns of behavior and thinking he wanted to change. Remember I shared how my husband really struggled setting boundaries. And when he was leading the five repair shops in Southern California, the stakes felt too high for him. But then three years later, he returned to his initial company only this time on a lower job. He took a demotion. And so the job didn't feel so heavy, so consequential. And there... He learned to set boundaries. He began to do so. He practiced setting boundaries until he became good at that. He worked with integrity, yes, but then he came home at a reasonable time. He began guarding those things that were most important to him that created so much positive change in our marriage, in our family, in his sense of mental well-being, in his enjoyment of life. And then by the time his company later promoted him to an even higher stakes position than the one he had initially held in California, he'd had plenty of practice setting boundaries. He was a completely different man, a completely different leader. And as a result, he carried those new healthy patterns of behavior with him. And I could go on and on and list all the things we learned through our financially insecure period, all the ways God grew us that led to such beautiful results. But I imagine if you were to pause and look back over a lot of your challenges, you could say the same and and you will be able to say the same regarding whatever you're going through now because that's how God works. He's got us always. He might wait until the last minute to come through, but when he does, know he has a good reason, a loving and hope-filled reason. In James chapter one, verses two through four, we read, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. Consider it joy, James wrote, when difficulties hit, not because we're thrilled to lose our jobs, to endure a recession or a global pandemic, but rather because we know God will use that event, is using that event for our good, to grow us and make us complete, emotionally and spiritually whole, to take all our broken doubt-filled pieces and tie them all together with his grace and love. But notice what verse four of that James passage says, let perseverance finish its work. This seems to imply we can somehow wiggle out from under the difficulty. And that was precisely how I responded when my husband quit his job in Louisiana. Initially, I withdrew into myself. I grew increasingly angry, bitter, and depressed. I read my Bible. I went to church, absolutely, more just as something to do to check it off my list because that was what I was supposed to do as a good Christian, right? But I wasn't engaged. I wasn't interested in what God had to say. It didn't really penetrate. I felt he'd basically abandoned me. He'd yanked me out of the community that I had sunk deep roots into in Southern California. And he would brought me to this new area and then bam, ripped up my roots once again. But then one morning, I just finished reading Proverbs 14, verse one, which says the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. And in that moment, my daughter called out to me, mama, she said, and I looked up to see her standing in my bedroom doorway, looking at me with those big green eyes. And I knew God was offering me a choice. I could continue to give into my anger and my sadness, my feelings of hopelessness and defeat, or I could stand up. I could find strength in Christ and I could show my daughter what it looked like to stand on faith. And in showing her, I ended up showing myself. God grew me through that situation and, and, and through other situations that followed so that now when financial difficulties hit, they don't hit so hard emotionally. I know how to process them through truth and faith. That experience drastically changed my husband as well. He doesn't try to shoulder our family's provision anymore. He shifted that weight onto Christ and this in turn gave him the courage to set and maintain healthy boundaries. When God brings us to it. He grows us through it. So what is God teaching you through your period of financial uncertainty? And what will you do differently going forward, not just in terms of faith, but in how you handle your money? Maybe you're doing the best you know how, living as frugally as possible. And if so, keep up The great work. You're handling the resources, however big or small, that God gave you well. Rest in that and trust God to carry you through that season. But I suspect some of you listening have perhaps found yourself in a bit of an oops. Maybe you've grown accustomed to a certain level of income, assumed your situation wouldn't change, and therefore spent every dollar you earned, and then your company went under or put you on furlough, or you're afraid they might, and reviewing decades of foolish living, you've begun to panic. If that's you, know this. You and your family can bounce back from anything. God can redeem any situation if we learn from it. So what can you learn? How does your spending need to change so that once your current crisis ends, you can begin moving toward increased long-term financial health? How can you manage whatever resources God gives you in a biblical way? We went to biblical financial classes, first through Crown Financial. We took their class twice, then led it twice, and then we led Financial Peace University a few times, and each time we reviewed biblical principles while we taught them to others, and we shared our story with others and with our daughter. We talked with our daughter a lot about finances actually and we required her and her fiance to take biblical financial classes prior to getting married. They did. And as a result, what they a result of what they learned in the class and a result of I believe what our daughter learned just growing up with all of our experiences they are starting their lives together on great footing. They're both working and living well below their means so that they can first save up an emergency fund enough to carry them through six months of unemployment. That's their goal because they know life happens, recessions happen, layoffs happen to the hardest workers among us. So they're telling themselves no now to that new car, that fast food run, that new outfit in order to say yes to stability later. So what can you learn from your experience? What do you need to do in the short term to stay out of debt? We had to sell our home. At a $35,000 loss, that hurt. We moved all our stuff into storage. We moved into a tiny rent by the month apartment. That was hard. It was hard on us, and it was even harder to see the effects on our daughter. If you're a parent, you can understand. And maybe you can't buy that special birthday gift you long to give your little one, or maybe this coming Christmas will be lean. But here's a truth I try to remember as a mom God loves my kiddo too. And he is growing them as well. And they might be disappointed not to get that special Barbie or that new pair of shoes, but God can turn their disappointment to good, to growth. And once they become adults to long-term financial health, we can cooperate with him by communicating with them. If things are tight financially, talk to your kids in a healthy way. Don't freak them out. Instead, talk to them through a lens of faith. Help them see God in the midst of it. And help them learn from your mistakes. I'm certain our time in that tiny little apartment left a lasting positive impact on our daughter. I'm certain it played a part in her financial frugalness now. And that's a good thing. That means she and her husband are much less likely to find themselves in a tiny rent-by-the-month apartment. Early in my marriage, my husband and I were a mess financially. If we wanted something, we bought it on credit. We ate out all the time. We went on expensive vacations, not really thinking about whether we had the funds to pay. And then one Christmas, it all caught up to us and we realized we had maxed out our credit cards. And we had a choice. We could continue to go further into debt or we could make some really hard choices. And by God's grace, we chose the latter. And we began aggressively paying off our debt. We cut off all non-essentials, no more going out, no more cable, no more air conditioning. That was rough. We were living on the edge of the Mojave Desert. And we also didn't buy Christmas gifts, not a one. And that was hard. Our daughter was four or five at the time. And it broke my heart to know my reckless behavior was causing her pain. But I also knew if I didn't course correct, I would be harming her more in the long run, not just on the damage it would do to our family and to my marriage, but I would be teaching her to spend without thought of the consequences. That gifts and material things were the most important things, that we should be led by our emotions rather than wisdom. We wanted to teach her how to make the hard right choice, knowing we always reap the consequences of our actions and our choices. To recap, how can we weather financial uncertainty with faith and peace? We trust, knowing God's got us. He's not limited by our economy, our political system, or job situation. And second, we let him grow us through it. We do that by seeking His will in His heart and by yielding daily to Him, moment by moment. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, that it gave you some things to think about, maybe some things to try. More than that, I hope you feel inspired to deepen your relationship with Christ, your provider. Because he is your provider always, even now, and he won't leave you. If you haven't already done so, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. Then you won't miss a single episode. And I would be greatly encouraged if you would rate it. And that also helps others to find it. And make sure to share this episode on your social media challenges. So others struggling with feelings of financial uncertainty can find hope and some unshakable truths to hold tight to Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Faith Over Fear, a production of Life Audio and the Salem Web Network. If you enjoyed what you heard today, we'd love for you to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. To learn more about Jennifer Slattery, or to check out any of the resources she mentioned in this episode, just head over to her website, jenniferslatterylivesoutloud.com, or check out our show notes. This episode was produced by Kelly Givens and edited by Stephen Sanders. A special thanks to our executive producer, Stephen McGarvey. For more Faith Toolkit podcasts like this, just head over to lifeaudio.com. I'm Don Hawkins, and I once heard Chick-fil-A founder Truett Cathy say, you can tell if a person needs encouragement, check to see if they're breathing.